Hi FM presents South African politics and news with the South African Institute of Race Relations. The IRR show, independent, relevant and real, is hosted by Sarah Gon every Tuesday morning from 9 to 10, promoting life, liberty and property rights. Good morning everyone and welcome to today's show and up in Joburg here it's an overcast but distinctly warmer and spring-like. The uh, surprise cold front can still come up, get us before the end of September but let us uh, proceed in hope. The issue of the week is still the Af- Afghanistan crisis and as a result of the takeover by the Taliban. So we're going to look at closer to home and that is the municipal elections. Now last week featured extensively on the application to delay the municipal elections until February next year by the IEC and certain parties and a considerable amount of opposition to this because of the constitutional implications it would have as the constitution in dealing with municipal elections does not allow for extensions of any kind whatsoever. So after the presentation of what felt like a a bevy of of, uh, advocates presenting their cases, the the constitutional court has quite a lot to consider to decide how this uh, mess will be dealt with because it's premised on the fact that the, you know, we will be too overcome by COVID still to run a fair election, whereas by uh, February it should be resolved. However, the science doesn't necessarily support the fact that there may, we may be in a, at a low point and the, the spike may in fact only occur in February instead of October. But in any event, this has, uh, this delay or this, this, certainly this delay in making the, de- the decision has resulted in the party scrambling to provide their election lists to the, to the IEC. The DA has, has done it, uh, as have, as has uh, the good party and the ANC was scrambling over the weekend to do it and uh, this hints at the possibility, but one doesn't want to be too cynical, that for the ANC a delay would allow them A, to get their house in order and B, to be in a better space to uh, attract attract voters. Now, the IC extended its deadline, I think, by about four hours yesterday to accommodate uh, late coming, uh, but I don't think that's really uh, crucial or fundamental. But the... The problem is, I mean, the ANC says that, you know, it, it, it embarks on the most democratic and participatory process in the country in, in having people nominated to stand for positions such as mayor, etc. And it's done essentially by branches making a decision as to who will be nominated and then the name is, set, is sent up to, to the national body. The problem is, is this, with, with the ANC's essentially politics by patronage, this has caused great problems in the past and it has even resulted in, in assassinations and murders because it's very sought after, because it, it is a form of employment that pays well in a era of high unemployment. It's also about serving various factions of the ANC. And the, 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 uh, ANC likes to say that it is 
you know, it's very democratic and it has to admit that most of the nominations are for men and not enough women. So they have put women, more women in the proportional representative seats and the same with the, with other minorities that they wish to advance. The problem is that this, this is in itself is an interference with the, the election process because there's a deliberate deciding one way or another and one's not sure whether they've chosen the best person for the job, but it's a, that's for the ANC to choose. Not unexpectedly, um, and as I mentioned in terms of the contestation that occurs around ANC election lists, there has been prior to this weekend's I gather fairly robust process for getting all the nominations in. Um, there has been a considerable amount of contestation um, already. The there has, as, as far as I am aware, there has uh, been a death or some deaths as a result. Uh, an ANC member has been killed and others were injured during a council nomination protest process. Sorry, a Freudian slip. A couple of the branches and uh, in, in areas like Twani and Bujanala are considering taking the matter to court to on the on the basis that the, the appropriately nominated person did not end up on the list. And these are the sort of problems that um, that, that tend to beset the ANC. So what? Exactly, it's going to portend for the um, for, for the ANC and for their election prospects is is open to question. Of course, it's complicated by the fact that we have had uh, COVID dealt with in parts really badly. The vaccine rollout has not been substantial enough to ensure that uh, there's, a high, there's a high enough level of vaccination to limit the chances of a fourth wave. And the unrest in July, uh, allegedly triggered by the uh, Jacob Zuma faction of the ANC, which was the sort of event that gets attention in the world media, and we don't get much attention in the world media one way or the other, and caused a great deal of concern and Dismay among South Africans in general will have not have acted, done well in uh, for the ANC because the ANC seems moribund. It seems sort of stuck in a in a process where you have these dreadful events. You have a cabinet reshuffle, but you don't improve the quality of your cabinet in that reshuffle. Decisions take an enormously long amount of time to be made, particularly in the office of the president, because the president seeks consensus. And if you seek consensus, it's going to take a long time to get decisions to be made. When usually running a country requires a certain level of prompt decisiveness, and that is not the way one could categorize this, this presidency. So that from a point of view of electoral attractiveness, really what the ANC is left with is the desperation of people being given some form of social COVID grant, very small amounts amounting to 350 odd rand. But it may hold the attraction in simply being that the electorate expects so little, but 
little has been given by the ANC, and that may be a reason for some success on the part of the ANC. But the ANC itself is uh, is someone described as a party so divided it faces political paralysis before the polls. Well, that is yet to be seen, but it certainly is not an inspiration to the voting public. Then we go on to a related but unrelated topic, if I can put it that way, in that we deal with the former state president, Jacob Zuma. Now, the what has essentially happened is that Jacob Zuma's military doctors, who in, 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 in medicinal rank or medicine rank, rank no higher than civilian doctors, much as they'd like to pretend otherwise, they had a 20 August court deadline to hand over their report on Zuma's fitness to stand for corruption. They failed to do so, and while we don't know the... uh, Sorry, we, we actually, we do have some idea. The NPA has not accepted the reasons for... The, the report not to be handed in. And the Zuma doctors apparently had asked to file the report on the state of his health and its implications for his trial on the, on the 27th of August, but the state did not agree to this. And frankly, a medical report in the time they were given, I think it was about a week, is really, in my view, reasonable enough to have submitted a medical report. Um, the NPA has stated that uh, it also rejects the reasons given for not filing the report um, as being expect because of its confidentiality and it was as it will specify details about his health. It's it's a it's it's a not unexpected um, delay on the part of the Zuma legal faction. So, uh, who amongst us is at all surprised? <laughs> Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. I'd like you to, to introduce you to our guest, uh, Koketso Rasani. Koketso and I appear, have appeared a couple of times on Big Daddy Liberty, Sikhle Ngobez's Liberty and Friends, which is a weekly slot to look at the news of the week. And he was impressive and clear, and I thought he would be an interesting guest to have on the show. And I would therefore like to welcome you, Koketso. Uh, Thanks, Sarah. Um, I'm very welcomed. It's good to be on a new platform or new for me. Uh, well, you are certainly experienced. Koketso, perhaps could I ask you to give a back, your background, what you do, and then particularly what is the Man Patriot podcast that you are a co-host of yeah. and that I think would be of particular interest? Okay, a little bit about me. At a professional level, I'm a business analyst slash uh, application engineer. So I work uh, primarily in the business informatics space uh, my entire career. So it's close to a decade now of uh, of working for me. And uh, for the Man Patriot podcast, it's a libertarian podcast, the brainchild of Dumodenga, who uh, I've known for 20 years or so now. We go back to primary school, so he's been a lifelong friend, and he is a classic libertarian. So, yeah, uh, that's what the podcast is all about, and, uh, well, that's what the channel is about, and the podcast is really just a bunch of guys wrapping up the Newsweek. Okay. Can I just ask you to give a definition of libertarian? Because people people often get confused, not least of all, 
amongst libertarian and liberal circles as to what is a libertarian and how libertarians differ from, say, classical liberals. Okay, uh, this is my primary domain, but yeah, uh, really the libertarian school of thought is more about uh, allowing people to exercise liberty to the fullest of their potential without any interruption. Of course, with some very basic limits, such as you can do what you want, but at the same time, this does not permit you to kill another person, steal from someone else, etc. Uh, that's really the classical libertarian sense of things, uh, and uh, the proponents of it really do uh, do call for allowing people to really exercise their freedom uh, and not having something like this, someone like the state. Uh, coming in and introducing limits which are often changing depending on who's in power, of course. So essentially, it's, 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 uh, you look at very much the agents, the individual agency of, of people. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, this is normally informed by how someone is raised or the values that they are, that are instilled from them either culturally or or from their upbringing, etc., which uh, society has been around long enough that everyone kind of knows what right is from wrong from a very young age, and it doesn't need to necessarily be policed with with policy. Mm. Um, what's interesting about uh, libertarian your libertarian approach is that generally the political culture in this country is is focuses less on individual agency. It it, focus, it has a focus across the spectrum of a more socialist, the, the state will provide um, ethos, and it, it's, which is proving to be extremely detrimental to, to the growth of the economy and the welfare of the society. How do you – are and I'll call you younger people because – at this age, everyone's younger than me. Um, <laughs> how do you? How is there a way you find to make uh, people of your age um, susceptible to a, a more, a freer, more agency-focused ethos? Because uh, we've always found that one of the real challenges. So. I'm in the unique space in that, um, so I matriculated in uh, 2008. So I'm in the unique space in that a lot of the time people I was in school with, um, you know, we, we were all uh, a, a collection of people of different backgrounds, different races, different, uh, different upbringings and the like. So we are now at the point in our lives, in our careers where everyone has kind of been given the same opportunities. Uh, particularly if you're from suburban, uh, if you're from a suburban area of sorts. So we really sit where, we really sit at the point in time where if you look at, uh, you know, the, the, the common talk of income disparities and the likes, we really sit at the point where we've had, we've all had the same start. We all finished school the same way. Everyone went off and did whatever they did. So, because of all of that, we can now actually sit and look back and then say that, right, at an individual level, uh, how come I succeeded and the person I used to uh, eat lunch with at break didn't or mm -hmm. vice versa? We can have those honest conversations given we've all had somewhat a very similar start. Yes, with the differences here and there, but it's all up for debate. And uh, when you have those honest conversations, you actually start realizing that, you need to own your failures a lot of the mm -hmm. time. And it's got nothing to do with a system, if I can put it that way. It really does have to do with, you know, how you performed, uh, not just as a student, but as an adult and as a young adult as well. Mm. I, I've frequently read by very successful business people that it's not 
your success that defines your future. It's your preparedness to fail and how you deal with that failure. It's that you essentially grow as as much, if not more, from the areas you fail as the areas you succeed in. Yeah, uh, definitely that, you know, and that really does come down to the individual. But I do feel that uh, basically me and almost everyone I know, we have been empowered to such an effect that we can actually, uh, quote unquote, uh, pick ourselves up whenever we fall down. And we find out later on that actually you're not the only person going through whatever you are going through. Mm-hmm. This is common and this is really just a part of life and how you handle it will determine the outcome in the end. Mm-hmm. Um can I raise something perhaps a little odd and a bit specific? Um, it's become apparent, I was looking at some figures, that a not insignificant number of successful young black who are employed or have started their own businesses uh, nevertheless are supporters of the EFF, who's, as far as I can see, insofar as they have an economic policy, it is one of pure sort of Marxist destruction, if I can call it that. In other words, it seems like people who sound like you, like you and your achievements are going in, the, in what would be a very opposite direction to libertarianism. Why, why do you think that is? I would have thought that people who are successful would want to be in an environment and, and, be, and have political um, partners who, are, who support that independence and its success. So I think it comes down to ambition more than anything. So mm-hmm. let's never forget that it's not only uh, good men and women who are ambitious, but it's also those who are looking to do harm. So driven by ambition, people come up with fascinating ways to actually, you know, uh, add a couple of zeros to their bank balance. <laughs> and then we uh, at some point, everyone does kind of realize that the government always has a blank check. And so they're always looking to say, right, how can we, now that uh, quote-unquote black people are in control of the state, how do we actually become a part of that? How do I access uh, the monies from this blank check? And this is why uh, it's very romantic how the EFF always propagates for state control of everything, uh, be it the mine, be it land, a.k.a. agriculture, um, uh, and, and some other key sectors of the economy. It's really a way of people saying that, right, if we actually support this, that puts me in line to achieve my ambitions and actually add a couple of zeros to my bank balance by being in bed with a government which is uh, predominantly speaking to uh, my, my, my racial profile more than my actual abilities to deliver. So I think it really does come down to that. And, uh, yeah, it's, we know about it, but, of course, it's what's done about it that's more important, I believe. Mm-hmm. Mm. Okay. Um, so when I first asked you to come on, I said I'd like you to chat us to the, perhaps the three things, to two or three things you think are the most pressing in this country at the moment that have to be dealt with. What would you say is the most pressing issue that we, that we have to get to grips with and are not getting to grips with? Yeah. So. Yeah, I did give it some thought, and uh, thanks you for giving me a heads up as well. <laughs> so uh, maybe uh, I'll pretend this is some form of lecture. So I've gone about it the academic way and uh, came up with a, a three-point, uh, yeah, a three-point uh, plan of some sort. But the first one, this is directly aimed at business. I believe business needs to resist bad policies. Because businesses are better placed to actually challenge the government on bad policies that don't just affect their bottom lines, but also 
uh, hurt the employees and in turn the families of the employees. Now, this is something that's actually very common with lobby groups, etc., uh, particularly in your more developed nations, but uh, not so much here. And uh, by bad policies, I'll make a few examples. This can include, it's quite broad and can include anything uh, like the sugar tax, uh, the, the increase on VAT, which we've actually seen, uh, hasn't done much, uh, as, as was promised, uh, right down to things like uh, levies and duties on certain items uh, and even some broad legislation like the basic conditions of employment. All of these are tabled and typically go through the cycle and end up being part of yours and my life uh, without much resistance because at a citizen level, uh, a lot of people really don't feel empowered to do anything about it. But I believe business does have the necessary muscle, particularly uh, Santon Central and the Johannesburg mm-hmm. Stock Exchange here. I believe they do have the necessary muscle to actually offer some form of resistance. Um, and I'm including something like BEE here because we know that the outcomes of BEE have actually negatively impacted equity mm. or the equity appetite rather. And, uh, yeah, the employment practices as well that is, that are enforced by business, uh, all in the name of, uh, of paying homage to, uh, broad based black economic empowerment. Mm. Uh, yeah, and uh, even beyond that, you know, if something like BEE and other bad policies are, are, are the primary deterrents for, you know, there's a lot of talk globally about green energy and green mm. initiatives, green processes and manufacturing, uh, vehicles, etc. But none of that will actually happen in this country uh, so long as something like BEE exists where the technological partners who've developed this for years abroad can't actually come in and, uh, and and practice some of this or expand into South Africa because of our policies. Mm-hmm. So that really sums up my first point in that business should resist bad policies. Mm-hmm. The second one, uh, maybe you want to yeah, speak I, I just want, I did. I just wanted to res- comment on that. Is Listeners will be well aware that I am a great critic of business, uh, I, I suppose particularly big business, because it – it seems to cave into the government on issues that are not in its interests, don't support it in any way, uh, are, are bad for it, it as, as in all the ways you've just mentioned. Perhaps I don't know if you have a view on the existence of NEDLAC and the fact that you have this separate body that discusses and comes to agreement about aspects of economic policy and nine times out of ten, however much it may be changed in negotiation, business always seems to go along with something that uh, that the government's proposed. And I saw most recently that uh, that business was complaining that five years ago, subject to a whole number of conditions, it supported the social um, the social tax that we've all been talking about in the last in the last week or so, and largely condemned. Is there any value to an, to an entity like NEDLAC? I mean, surely there's enough representation of parties in the normal sense uh, to, to have to include community, business, labour, and the government to deal with to sort of deal with the economic policy, which isn't ultimately determined by NEDLAC. Yeah, I mean, when I think of NEDLAC, they're in effect using the same kind of strategy I'm proposing ordinary people and even smaller business to adopt in that, uh, yeah, NEDLAC is really a vehicle that allows government, uh, government and their business partners particularly to lobby the very same government, uh, mm. to, to effect some of these changes. Now, these changes go through because again, uh, 
if business doesn't have to absorb the cost of, of implementing a lot of these, uh, that keeps them happy, particularly if their balance sheet is uh, well north of seven, eight, nine figures, etc. Now, where we need to actually play our part is in giving the support necessary to our small organizations, particularly community-based organizations, uh, not just business. I'm going to include even civil society, uh, even NGOs that, uh, you know, primarily exist to do good in society in some form or another. But we don't really come together and do that. And uh, those who are, you know, uh, sitting in lofty offices do do this with government, and uh, that's why they win in the end. So, yeah, it's really it's a call to action more for us to actually do something about it and employ the same strategy that government does with its business partners because we should never forget that, uh, you know, in some of these boards sit some uh, very, uh, very connected individuals to our ruling party. And that's something to always keep in mind in that this is the exact reason why they would want to fill in uh, a board of directors with 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 uh, with uh, ANC cadres and the like, mm. you know, so that there is parity in ideological vision and uh, so that everyone is actually moving in the same direction, be it government and big business. Right. Um, please go ahead with your second challenge. Sure. So the first one was aimed at business, of course, and then I'm going to aim the second one directly at government. Uh, and I'm going to be very specific here in that government needs to really step up and develop our rural and township areas. Mm. So to do this, I have no issue actually apportioning a part of our fiscus for this very purpose. Uh, this has been done elsewhere in the world, of course. Uh, looking back, I mean, the previous regime of apartheid, uh, even the regime before apartheid, did immeasurable harm to a few generations. Um, this is how we end up with, uh, you know, large parts of the country being underdeveloped, of course. And uh, these same areas actually remain an obstacle uh, because of poor infrastructure. And by infrastructure, I'm referring now to not just schools, roads and electricity, uh, but even something more modern like uh, Internet and Internet access, mm. of course. So the common thing here is that if you can't provide electricity, then how can you expect someone to have decent Internet access, of mm. course? So the two uh, do go hand in hand. And we need we, government really needs to focus on developing these areas. Now, if you look at our population, uh, we have quite a, you know, we have quite an impressive bell curve, really, uh, when mm. you look at our demographics. Uh, statistically, even if you want to generalize it a bit, if you look at it, if anyone looks at our bell curve, they should uh, come to the conclusion that we should have a thriving working sector. Lots of young people, mm. lots of able-bodied people who can actually come in uh, and, uh, and and work, you know, and do work which will actually grow the economy, grow the GDP, and uh, in turn also do things like alleviating poverty and the like. But uh, all of this is hampered by a lack of access to uh, good infrastructure, which is also a deterrent to investment uh, abroad. Now, of course, if the government is going to do this, they would need to do this in a transparent manner and also allow the private sector to actually come in and uh, not just be on the sidelines, but actively participate. So remove some of that red tape and uh, stop uh, government must stop trying to make everything a public private partnership as mm-hmm. well because that's again that means then that whoever the private player is they have to appease the government mm-hmm. stakeholder who's uh, who happens to be in the room and this is the reason why we struggle to reproduce let's say another mark shuttleworth from a rural or township settlement you know how how are we going to produce great black engineers for example if uh, if 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 they're coming from an environments where 
a lack of electricity therefore means that they can never develop something like, uh, you know, solid computer literacy skills, which is required uh, even for a computer science degree. You know, uh, having studied in that field myself, I, I used to tutor and I used to tell students all the time that the assumption is that at the very least you can type. And if you can't type, then you are likely to fail the exam mm. because you wouldn't finish the exam because of mm. your inability to use a computer keyboard. Mm. So these mm. are very basic things, and it doesn't take much to really uh, realize the, the, the net effect of it. But government does need to step up, even if it means taking some of yours and my tax money and uh, making conscious effort to develop these areas. Mm. Um one thing, I mean, that strikes me that really would make the task you, you recommend so much more difficult is the absolutely appalling state of the municipalities because while they can't do all of what you're suggesting, it, it has to, it has, the, the load has to be spread, they are so dysfunctional that to actually uh, get, get it going is, is, uh, is almost uh, impossible. But bear with me, Kukitsu. Um, I've. FM 101.9 megahertz of life. Kukitsu, I was making the point that given the appalling state of our municipalities, uh, it essentially is not, it's not just an economic and financial and uh, state capture scenario, but it's the fact that in every respect, um, as you alluded to, BEE has probably played a significant role in destroying the competencies of those of those municipalities, and perhaps the naive assumption on the part of the government or the, or the ANC is that, you know, they're more small rural municipalities. They're out there. How difficult can it be? And it's proved to be it's 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 more complex and requires a lot more consideration than it's been given. Yeah, absolutely. And it actually breaks my heart the more I think about it in that our local municipalities at large, um, they're actually they're at the forefront of service delivery. Mm. But uh, don't get me wrong, there are good men and women who work in, in, in local municipalities, of course, but those are primarily, along with SOEs, used as the vehicle which will deliver the promise to uh, to create jobs, you know, the constant promise of, you know, uh, whoever the president is at the time coming through and uh, promising X amount of new jobs to be created, they use local municipalities and state-owned entities to actually deliver this promise. And what you end up with is people who are employed but who actually can't tell you honestly what their job description actually is. And I've asked this question even in other platforms. Uh, No one can seem to explain what exactly is a general worker. Mm. You know, mm. so and at the end of the day, the people who suffer are the taxpaying uh, residents uh, and, and, and other residents, of course, in whatever area and municipality is in because they aren't getting their money's worth in terms of service delivery. And then over and above that, uh, large parts of the income that goes to municipalities is uh, we've seen in some instances not even paying service providers like ESCOM. It's actually used to pay salaries uh, for a bloated number of staff. And finally, uh, Koketsu, your, your third, your third identified issue. And this is my shortest one, but I believe, uh, remember I've mentioned something for business, for government. This one goes to citizens, so to you and me. Mm-hmm. And I believe at large, we need to stop voting with our hearts. Uh, every available metric points to a lack of good governance in most parts of the country, in most local municipalities, like you mentioned as well. Uh, these metrics are from all, all, all types of sources, uh, be it uh, state-owned sources like Stats SA, 
to uh, the Auditor General as well, to Treasury themselves when they look at their own data sets, uh, to uh, even private players like the IRR and other think tanks, of course, even uh, polls from qualified agencies, all of these metrics point to a clear lack of good governance in most mm. parts of the country. And this needs to be addressed. And the best way to do this is to actually uh, stop rewarding the people responsible with your vote. Mm. Now, it's not unusual for citizens to vote out a government that they are not happy with. This happens everywhere in the world. Uh, biggest examples being, of course, the U.S. and the U.K., where parties there really fight for the uh, for the citizen vote. But also recently, in, uh, I'll mention Israel and most recently Zambia as mm-hmm. well, where they voted in a new yep. government. So this is not something that is unusual. And we really need to get on board here as a country and do the same. Because a good uh, a government that consistently underperforms and underdelivers and under delivers is actually not worthy of our vote. And only the credible threat of losing an election would actually force elected government officials at, at all levels, national, local, provincial, etc., to actually step it up a bit and take their job seriously enough because they would know that tomorrow we could vote them out. Mm. Well, I, I, I actually have to absolutely support that because while attachment to a party may be a matter of the heart, the reality is it's all about who is going to govern you and, and provide your ability to, to live a better life. Yeah. And that is a purely practical decision. And that's, your, your choice has got to be based on what you see and what you hear as best as, as best you can determine as to who should who should attract? Who should, who should have the privilege of your vote? Yeah, that's it. Okay, so thank you so much. I'm uh, really pleased to have had a new—I was going to say face, but it's really a new voice on board, uh, <laughs> experienced in the uh, in, in the podcast space, and uh, given us uh, some very practical, hard-hitting issues to consider. And uh, I'd like to have you back in the future um, on. This and a range of other topics if, if you join us. So thank you very much. Yeah, uh, again, a pleasure to be here today. And, of course, I would love to come back uh, in the future. Uh, again, I'm one call away. And maybe I'll leave the listeners with this. I think uh, it's a, it's very important to have these conversations in your different areas of influence. Mm. Not everyone, of course, is uh, influential in business, etc. But, you know, this can start with your family. You know, just mm. have some honest conversations in and amongst yourselves, particularly with those who are a bit younger. You know, I mm. do this a lot at my church with some of the younger guys who... You know, I'm in a, I'm in a small community church and some of those guys, uh, when they were toddlers and in Sunday school, they've seen me, uh, wear school uniform and start working, buying my first car, mm. etc. So I do have some semblance of influence as a consistent figure at the very least in their Sunday lives. And we have these honest conversations. And in turn, I've seen them make some good decisions, which is good for them uh, mm. as they start working and as they start studying and the like. And I'd like to believe that's uh, me doing my part. So, yeah. it, it, again, it costs me nothing, and I'm sure it costs you nothing as well. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's just a certain amount of energy, and it's the classic uh, scenario of having role models to follow. Uh, Kukutsu, how, how can people get find you and hear you or read you if, if they want to see what you're doing uh, okay. on social media? Yeah, so on social media, my most public platform is probably my Twitter profile. Uh, that's Koke Resani, uh, name, surname, uh, simple as that. 
And yeah, if you want to hear more of my views, particularly around what's happening uh, at any given point in time, uh, check out that Man Patria podcast. Uh, go over to YouTube, search for Man Patria. That's one word. And uh, you'll come across the podcast and some other videos that the channel also produces. Excellent. Thank you. And uh, we'll see you soon. I would like to go on to chat a little bit about some of those very strange and probably fairly awful things that uh, that that happen in, in this country that are just so weird and so horrid. I was came across a headline that said, Man hacked to death during an argument about circumcision. Um, now, it's, a, it's, a, it's an awful, tragic uh, scenario because the victim was only 22 years old. But the parties apparently became embroiled in an argument regarding medical versus traditional circumcision. Now, the, the irony in that is just so profound because it really sees the traditional centuries-old practice of circumcision coming up against the, the, the consideration of medical circumcisions from a safety, health and safety point of view. And uh, the, the, deba- the debate and the conundrum that resolving this uh, presents to society, but to hack someone to death in an argument over it, strikes me as a little, uh, shall we say, extreme. Also, a dreadful social problem in our society is bullying at, bullying at schools. Now, bullying at schools is, is a worldwide phenomenon. It's not, uh, it's, it's not confined to South Africa. But the consequences of bullying here are often awful. Uh, an Mpumalanga teenager, who apparently dreamt of becoming a doctor, uh, was beaten for his calculator and was ultimately beaten to death. Now, that is just the most the saddest, most appalling incident, because for some reason, and it's, it has no, it has no particular merit when children kill other children, there's something particularly awful about it. And the, the problem in my experience is that bullying, which can lead to such extreme results, is usually not dealt with soon enough by schools. It, it's, it, it tends to be allowed to fester. Some of it is still an old, old way of thinking that says that, you know, part of your, your growing up is to do with standing for bullying or being bullied and getting, and, and coming out the other side. And part of it is just, it, it's because it's an ugly problem, um, and it does involve threats of violence and violence. Schools are sort of reluctant to even take take any issue over it in the hope that it will somehow go away. Now, it, it won't, and it has to be dealt with, and it has to be punished, and if necessary, children have to be expelled for bullying. Um, it doesn't matter whether a child is bullied in the school or is bullied outside of the school, but if a child from a school bullies a child from an, another child from the school, it's the onus is on the schools to do something about it. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. Funny little issue, but not, I suppose not funny, but um, it involves a part of the world that has an, a huge association for, for South African Jewry, but uh, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a sort of face-off between Lithuania and Belarus. Now, Belarus is a, an autocracy run by a fairly unpleasant gentleman who doesn't seem to have any 
doubt about uh, exerting his authority as and when he sees fit, including uh, forcing place, uh, planes to land to arrest journalists, and that is the Belarusian president, Alexander Lukashenko. And he's basically threatened to push refugees into Lithuania, who says they will complete a border fence between themselves and uh, Belarus by September 2022. So it, it's never dull in the, in, in the Caucasus and the Baltic states. And uh, although one would like to say that in 2021, dictators such as Lukashenko should be matters of history, they survive. And he survives because he, partly because he's very close to Russia. So there's a, there's a standoff between Lithuania and Belarus on, on immigrants and the Afghan crisis without a doubt is likely to make that very, very much worse. So on the point of showing people that it's not all good elsewhere in the world, I'd like to thank you very much for joining us for this week and my guest and ask you to read us, watch us and listen to us on the dailyfriend.co.za articles, opinions, as I say, videos and, 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 and podcasts which are informative but also fun. Failing which, in addition to which, I'll see you next week.